Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Reenactors Ramble. Today, Andy and I are going to be talking about the outsider's perspective and how people outside of the hobby view the hobby. How are we doing today, Andy? Uh, I'm good, Richie. I'm uh, enjoying myself. I've had a, a wonderful week so far, and uh, I went into my mum's old loft and found an old 1980s Walkman of mine. Um, and my kids are currently loving playing with it, along with a boombox or ghetto blaster that they found, and they are now learning how to record themselves and making their own radio broadcasts. What? <laughs> Yeah, like father, like sons, right? Oh, we well, did it when we were in the what eighties and nineties, so they're getting a really good experience. Excellent. Almost their um, their own form of reenacting. Yeah, could be. You never know. Mm, mm. Maybe yeah, laying laying the path ahead. How was your week? How have you been? It's gone okay. I uh, I came back uh, from Pickering wartime weekend, although it was a Pickering non wartime weekend, really. Um, our listeners are probably getting fed up hearing about Picker and we've talked about it so much, but I guess it has been the, uh, the first upcoming event really since we started the podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, this was sort of the inspiration for, for this episode, the, the outsider's perspective, because in, in Pickering, we, uh, you very much have this, uh, insider reenactor perspective and the outsider and the unique thing, or not necessarily the unique thing, but the different thing about Pickering to a, a regular public event in a showground perhaps where you pay for an event is that the people in the village who I guess we would refer to as the outsiders in this perspective of this particular instance largely aren't there to see the uh the reenactors um they live there and they have no you know they're no choice really but to to put up with it um and with the, the the various lockdowns across the country which uh didn't include the most recent announcement um, back then. So the, the group of six and socializing with other people outside your household was still possible. Um, the event was canceled. Um, so I, I did attend, uh, legally with a, a few, uh, a small group of, uh, of friends without any, uh, kit or equipment, uh, just as members of the public really to support the village. There were a, a small minority of reenactors that appeared and attended the event. And I was probably the first time ever able to view a outsider's or a member of the public's response that isn't interested in reenacting as a bit of a fly in the wall, as opposed to being immersed in it as a reenactor, which was really interesting. That's interesting you say that, Richie. Do you think, um, well, you said at the start just there that it's Pickering is an event where the public don't have a say. They're not paying public. They literally live there and that's that. When I've seen the photographs and, of course, when I've attended this event, I see nothing but a, a wave, thousands of people dressing up, making an effort. And I'd like to know what the actual percentage of the populace don't take part. Because when you walk up that high street, I would suggest and say probably 99%. And I'm struggling to think about any shop that does not take part, either with the window dressings, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one of those events. It's bang right in the North Yorkshire Moors. You've got the train line from Pickering to Whitby to add to the backdrop. Without that, I don't think it would be the events that it would be. Um, the rain actors are, um, again, they are the backdrop. They are the, you know, the the extras in a movie. That's really what it is. The town's the the main show. That's what I would suggest. When was the first time you went to uh, Whitby? Sorry, not Whitby, Pickering. Um, probably the first year I ever started reenacting, which was back in 2005. Mm. So good, uh, good 50, 15 years to count there. Yeah. 15 years ago. That's um, when I was there. So we, we didn't go together. I went, I went there by myself. Yeah. But we would, would certainly have, uh, crossed paths, but yeah, there's always been a unique, um, experience or relationship between the reenactors and the town at Pickering and, yeah. If I had to say right now what percentage of the town agreed with the reenactors and what percentage um, had opposition or, you know, a, a frosty feeling towards the reenactors, I would probably say that 95% of the, the inhabitants of that village or town, you know, um, don't understand reenacting and really don't agree with people visiting the village, especially in a, um, you know, a pandemic. 
Wow, that's a that's a massive percentage there, Richie. Mm. Well, you've got um, to say because I mean, you know, we the, the village. Like you, you, sorry, you mentioned the event is is within the village, and it's all about, um, you know, the the railway line, like you mentioned, the actual village itself. Yeah. And as the reactors Peter often go home, who are there for the day, what you generally find in an yeah. evening is as we sort of hit the pubs and the restaurants, you mm-hmm. mingle with the local public and. I think we haven't gone a single year as a group that I've been going over 20 years. There's legendary stories and tales of, yeah. you know, bar brawls and fights and um, are just, just incidents that happen every single year with, with the public that just have this warp, not necessarily warped, but they have a certain view and opinion of reenacting and as reenactors. And I think that's something that we're going to discuss in this and about not only the, the outsider's view from Pickering, but the general outsider's perspective as a whole and how we are viewed as reenactors. Um, you know, we've just been very, very briefly chatting this off air about this whole view that we are nerdy little, um, you know, strange people that have some sort of fetish for things. And, you know, in one respect, they're right. But I think that's something that we're going to discuss and about some of those challenges that we face in our life and, and, you know, the, and how to to deal with it, how to move forward. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things to talk about here. I think to start the discussion off, I think a question would be to ask, as you say, what is or what is our opinion, our own opinion, because we can't speak for other people, about what reenacting is. And I'd start that off um, back in about 2005 when I got into reenacting. Prior to that, I'd thought about it for a number of years um, on the back of the Band of Brothers uh, playing Medal of Honor, Call of Duty, okay, hands up, that's what I did. And when I thought about reenactors and looked online, I'll be honest, um, I this is a, a very narrow-minded view, but I thought it was going to be a group of guys who li- who just literally sat around collecting knives. And how wrong I really, really so off the, the chart, off the scale I was. Um, I was only young, okay, so... I went to my first events with a, a chap who invited me along and how wrong I was. You know, these people, they're not only professionals, everyday Joes, they had literally regular lives. But what they had a passion for was history. And it wasn't about collecting guns or collecting knives. Um, some of them were ex-army, territorial. Some had never served. Some just had a massive... It was all about the passion, about history, and it all stemmed from childhood watching the films, reading the books as a kid, okay, with your dad, your granddad. And, of course, if you were of a certain age, your father or your grandfather would have been in the war. And I think that's where I learned a lot in the first season, the first year, 2005-06. I then went to Pickering in 2000, it must have been 2005, 2006 or something like that. And to be fair, you know, it was the first time I'd actually dealt with the public at a non-paying event, so to speak. And it was very different. The It's not a case of people come into your showground, I guess, and want to look at what you've got and they pay for that privilege and then watch a battle and a few planes go over your head. They are literally there either dressed up or not, mingling around, watching what's going on, being a part of the action. And people who have been to Pickering for their first year um, who don't go in uniform, they certainly go in the following year in uniform because you're not a part of the action. You know, that's where people get it wrong and they start going to Smithies, but that's another story in a minute. Mm-hmm. Go on, Mitchie, what are you going to say? <laughs> so if I had to draw a line in the sand between the reenactor and the, just the, the you know, average Joe person mm-hmm. who, who isn't a reenactor, you know, walks down the street, probably looks at a reenactor and thinks, what the hell is that all about? there's a certain threshold, right, of interest in the war, which will naturally harness your your interest and engage you with the hobby of reenacting. And from an outside perspective, it, it's very clear that if you don't know about the war, or any wars, you've got no interest in them, mm. you haven't experienced that childhood that you just touched upon there, then you, you're you going to have this, this complete lack of education and knowledge about what it actually is. So... You know, I don't, I don't blame people because, mm. you know, if, if we were to think of hobbies that we don't know about, um, I was going to say stamp collecting, but I can actually, um, relate to that a little bit because we collect all weird and wonderful artifacts. And I think 
one of the great things about the hobby, certainly from an inside perspective, is the huge variety. You know, I collect um, World War II British Army postcodes, uh, not postcodes, postcards, Christmas cards um, sent from soldiers back home to their families at Christmas time. It's just Mm. something that I've strangely picked up on. Um, and you can, you know, you can go from visiting, uh, Normandy in a World War II vehicle to collecting Christmas cards. So it's such a wide variety yeah. of a hobby, but you know, if you were to put yourself amongst you know, juggling, I don't know, I, 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 there's people I went to school with that, are, you know, now professional jugglers and have this huge history in the circus. I, I don't get it, you know, personally don't get it. And that must be how people feel about reenacting. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think one of the one of the differences is or maybe there is a similarity is that you know maybe with juggling perhaps i can tell somebody i'm juggling and they might just think oh that's interesting but i feel like every time i tell somebody i'm a reenactor they say first of all what is reenacting what is it you know what does that mean or if they see a visual of you in a you know an image of you in a uniform or whatever that yeah. might be secondly what are you doing why do you do that you know, why are you taking pictures? Um, why do you dress up? And this, there's this huge black hole of information that these people want, but also, um, I'm not going to say that. No, I am. You know, sometimes you, for some strange reason, for a long time, I felt embarrassed about no, admitting to, you know, I still do it 31 years of age, telling people what reenacting is. And I'm only just at the point now where I'm quite comfortable saying, this is what I do. If you don't yeah. like it, you know, deal with it. Mm-hmm. I've, um, when I first told my work colleagues, I didn't tell everybody and I told a few and th- there was a few little chuckles. And I remember a guy called Pete saying, Oh, Andy, you love a bit of dress up, don't you? You like dressing up at weekends. And that came, that went down the line and went to my other colleagues and a few other, um, participants in my place of work. And now I've been there for 15 odd years. A lot of the people I work with know what I do, find it fascinating. Uh, they get a, a bunch of it slapped in their faces most days. Cause I actually do walk into work in 1940s, uh, outfits, not full uniform. Don't think I'm going to wear a full British BD set, but well, you're um, not far off with your great coat and your bloody HBTs that you put <laughs> in my, okay. I wear one part of the HBT. I'm not going to go double denim, you know? And it's, it's, it's one of them. It was a bit of a, they had a glib reflection about what it is, but they actually appreciate it because they know who I am and what I'm about. Um, and when they start to ask a few things, then he's, it gets really interesting when they say, what, you've been in films? What, you've been on TV? Yeah, we get used as like extras or even the main character. Then it's a whole different ball game, you see. Then they realise that when they're watching a documentary about World War Two with Dan Snow, the guys that are... Uh, being filmed in the background are not movie extras. They're us. It's us. And the gear that we're wearing is is our own gear, our own equipment. Um, Land Girls, just been on TV last weekend, I think, a rerun. And some of our boys are in that, mm-hmm. in the background. You've just hit on, on, a, on a really cool, cool point, a really interesting point, which is, you know, again, the outsider's perspective and how things can change. And... You know, it can it can flip from, you know, that's really strange. Why do you do that, you you weird weird yeah. man? Mm. To oh wow, when you you know you might mention, um, you know, a great example. Somebody in our group drove the tanks in the Fury film, and met you know Brad Pitt and other guys. Um, you know, I, I've done extra work. Lots of other people have done extra work. You know, people have been extras in in this hobby have been extras in major Hollywood movies over the last few years. Fury, Dunkirk to name but a few of those darkest hour uh and so on there so i think at that point people start to say wow that becomes really interesting but that almost offends me a little bit because i sort of think well okay you think i'm cool if i do my hobby for a film but if i do it for my own interest then it's not you know it's not cool anymore it's not interesting and let's be honest it's it verges on bullying it can do at times it really really can and wow yeah, you know it's quite I guess hurt, it's quite hurt, hurtful i think sometimes when you you know, because it can, I don't know about you, but for me, World War history, World War II history and, and reenacted over the last 15 years, every year becomes a more important part of my life. And the more I dedicate my finances, my time, my emotion 
into it, you know, as, mm-hmm. as I've become probably more of a, uh, you know, an integral piece of the puzzle in, in the, in our reenacting group, for example. And, you know, I, I don't mean that in a narcissistic way, but just from, you know, probably the, the time I've actually put into there, you become more emotionally invested into it. And when yeah. you put so much time into something for somebody to sort of dismiss it outright as this, you know, that you're a loser for sort of doing it. It's, it's really quite hurtful really. When you think about it, it takes you back to this juvenile feeling of being bullied for the way you look or for anything, you know? You know what? Um, I think to kind of put it into context as well, I think the younger generation are more into diversity than say my generation. Uh, certainly my mum or dad's generation, it's a different kettle of fish. Um, the, the new generation, generation, um, was it millennials or generation X, I think we call it, uh, they're all about diversity. So right now you can be whoever and whatever you want. Um, certainly where I live, I could go down the streets dressed as I do and I won't get anyone bat an eyelid. But I know if I go to the town where I actually work and get off the train, um, yeah, it's a different opinion. It's a different kind of opinion from that, the locals, because I'm not being um, prejudiced about different areas of where I live, but certainly some are a little bit more open to opinion, uh, to the suggestion that, oh, look, Amy's got a trilby on. That's cool. And then you go to the next town and it's, oh man, look at that. Beep. You know what I mean? Let's go and mug him. So I think for me, um, I don't know where I was going to go with this train of thought, but to be fair, I think it's, it is opinion. I think the young, the younger generation are maybe a little bit more acceptable uh, as, he, as time goes on. I've, Okay, so let's go back to kind of the events. So I've been to Pickering and I've also done another event called um, Seven Valley. That's another railway event. Again, in the evening, people uh, line the platform all in uniform. Some civilians turn up to a tent and it, it's a great time. I have a few beers. Have you actually been to any other kind of village event to kind of correlate this information? Um. Maybe not at the scale of Pickering is, you know, certainly on the list of female events, but mm. probably some of the closest one I could probably come to it is an event at Beamish that we sometimes attend where, you know, people might attend Beamish, not necessarily for the, yeah. um, for the reenacting exhibit that might be on that weekend, but for the whole, and Beamish is a bit like Black Country Living Museum. It's a, it's, um, a living museum where there's a lot of hired employees who portray, you know, somebody who works in a 1920s sweet shop or, um, and there's various generations around that sort of area there. And, and the, that's probably the only one I can relate to because it's, it's quite close to my house. Um, and sometimes we'll take vehicles there and whatnot. And the general public sort of think that you're part of the Beamish display. And, and if anyone that's been there, you can get on a bus, a vintage bus or a tram, um, and you can just ride it for free as part of the entrance fee. So people sort of try to climb in your vehicle and when you explain to them, this is a private vehicle, it's not part of the exhibit, they get quite hostile. And I think amongst that then comes, hold on a second, you don't work here. No, I don't. I'm just, you know, volunteering here to attend for the day. Then the whole thing again of why, you know, and this is even from people that are attending, attending a living, yeah, well, you're, you're attending a living history museum. You've paid to come into a living history museum, but you're questioning part of the history from somebody who does it for free. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a strange yeah. thing. So that's probably the, the sort of the closest one I would, I would say. Have you had any um, kind of hostile interaction uh, while reenacting? Loads. I say reenacting yeah. when you've actually worn the outfit, the gear. Definitely. Like we mentioned at Pickering, there's, there's always something every year and, one of the things I was going to mention is that there's, I think the people that don't understand it, and I think there's a lot of, whenever you get discrimination or hate or violence, a lot of it is down to a lack of education. Mm. Um, and because there's, there isn't this understanding or even just acceptance of it, there's this bigoted view of reenacting in some circles. Um, I understand it to a degree because if you go to somewhere like Pickering, for example, one of the things I heard bounding around, bounded around this weekend in Pickering, where, the, you know, there was, to be honest, there was 20 reenactors and, they weren't doing themselves any favor whatsoever. Mm. They were in groups more than six. Um, and do you know what? There's probably a couple of guys listening that I saw this weekend that were there. Um, and there's a chap in particular who, you know, who's a guy I, I get on with very, very well. Um, 
he was quite aggrieved at a local who who said he was going to phone the police um, because the reenactor shouldn't be there because the event was cancelled. Right, there was there was there was more than six of them stood in a in an area. You know, the jeep was parked on the side of the road. Why are they there? And this this chap was quite aggrieved, you know, and at this at this person there and couldn't really understand it. But you know, I sat on the fence there. I'm like, I understand why you want to go as a reenactor. You're not necessarily breaking the law by attending, but you are breaking the law by being in a group of more yeah. than six. And when the railway line, you know, the people that organize the event have said, mm. please do not attend, then it's just sheer ignorance. So you are fueling the view of these outsiders, yeah. whatever views they have, you know. So for me, it's just like at that point, if you've been told not to come, Specifically, you know, it's not even an invite. It is the opposite of being invited. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is being excluded. And if you are attending an event to which you've been excluded from, you are... Um, Gatecrashing? You know, you, you, yeah, you, you, you're breaking the law. Um, and these locals... And, and, and let's not forget we're in a pandemic as well where it's, it's a very sensitive, heightened sense yeah. of awareness and emotion. What do you think is going to happen? You know, so to those people out there that attended... You know, for me, I, I, you know, I've got about five impressions that I haven't worn and I was yeah. desperate to take one with me. And I just didn't bother out of respect for that village. You know, and we attended lawfully with the intention of supporting the village because, you know, the, the village relies on that income to get it through the, to the winter. But to go back to my point, you are, you are fueling the hostility that is traditionally apparent in that village. Um, and you can understand why. And one of the big questions when someone mentioned, you know, why are you here? Why are you doing this? was, you know, we're here, we're keeping memories alive, we're doing this, we're doing that. And sometimes when you've got a really terrible impression, you know, a quality reenactor is going to question your intentions. And even more so when if you, it's a bit like the, the remembrance rant I went on in a recent episode, you know, if, if you're directly being told not to, then it's not about remembrance, is it? It's about you wanting to dress up. Yeah. Let's be honest. And we said, that's fine. That's, that's part of the hobby. We understand that. But if you are breaking the law and, you know, general common sense around a pandemic just to dress up, then it's not about remembrance. And a member of the public actually said that to somebody this weekend. They said, there isn't an inkling about remembrance at this event. It's just about you lot playing dress up and enjoying yourselves. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I accept that because half of it is, you know, half of it is is just playing dress up and accepting yourself. That's well, part of the hobby. Do you know, it's like it was cancelled, as you say. So there's no World War Two thing going on. So why turn up as a World War Two thing? And, you know, you, you are just fueling, as you've said. But also um, you are kind of entering these villages from other parts of the UK and, and maybe Europe, I don't know. And you are literally, well, as the government would suggest, spreading this virus or the potential of spreading it. Now, just to clarify, Richie, when you went, you had a cottage already booked however you didn't actually go outside for a long period of time it's not like you went out and you know paraded around you literally went did whatever you needed to do and then went back to the cottage with those yeah of course we you know we had a we had a wonder in the morning uh you know we wore our masks outside the entire time not just when we were in shops we wore them outside the whole time um we went you know we went into some shops and used hand sanitizer as, as we were requested to do we social distance inside the areas um you know and we went back to the to the cottage and then we went out for a few beers we booked a table stayed at that table all night you know followed all the rules and we very much wanted to support the village um and that was that was our respectful view that we love that village we love the event the guys put on but we wanted to help them through the winter without having to you know, further angle the locals. But like you said, there's always somebody every year that goes, oh, these lot dressing up, blah, 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 blah. Um, and you'll always get that pickering. That will never disappear. And that is just part of the world that we live in as a reenactor. And unfortunately, I think it's just something that we're going to have to live with throughout our reenactors careers and, and probably forever because it is a, you know, it's not football, is it? It's, you know, and I, you're talking to a season ticket holder from a, from a local football club here. So I, I am in that hobby too, but you know, it isn't a, a vastly conformative popular hobby. It's a, it's a bit of a rare, you know, hobby that isn't commonly found really anywhere, hence the lack of education around it. So unfortunately, unless reenacting becomes a, a huge mainstream thing, then I think that's something that we'll have to deal with and, and just learn to adjust to it. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see or hear what the opinions of the likes of Howarth Railway Weekend 
is, you know, from like people who've been and go each year, which I know some of uh, some friends of ours do that. I wonder if they have the uh, same kind of beef that we've generally had. I mean, I, I've I've seen things um, and I've not seen things happen to other people, but they've happened to us. Now, that, that's not just to, to, to uh, suggest that we're the troublemaker here. What I think it is, I think it's when you've got a gang of lads and of course with our group, because we can be maybe 15 strong, 15 guys wearing a uniform, all identical, is like watching a group of um, of the opposite team walking up the street well, in the street. Well, it's almost, it's almost real then, isn't it? It's that whole argument of like, you yeah, know, group you just playing dress up almost becomes, you know, false really. Hmm. I think, um, no, I think... You know what, it's an interesting topic and it's one that comes up around the table um, at the end of the year and we, you know, pickering. We're, we're, we are picking on pickering here, by the way, because it is the end of the season and that's generally the event that we all go to. Because it was only last weekend, it's kind of fresh in our in our minds. This is not to suggest in any way pickering is a troubled place, okay? It's not because it's a fantastic event and if it wasn't for this uh, situation that we're in at the moment... We'd been there and we would have been in there in full strength and enjoyed it, got in our cars on the Sunday afternoon, early Sunday evening, driven back to our homes and literally thought, what an amazing, amazing location and event. And let's face it, the people in Pickering, the vast majority, are actually wonderful. The bartenders, the uh, people who own the hotels, the uh, restaurants that we've frequented, we've always had favorable attitude and opinion towards these people um and them to us but i think it's a a couple of drunk up uh youths um in the past that have just thought i know i fancy me chances here and it's never really amounted to anything in all fairness but just a few shouting definitely you know, a few things so going back to the, the yeah. generic sort of outsider's perspective andy how how do you go about introducing it to new friends, colleagues? Uh, you know, you know, um, we, you you always have those sort of social evenings where somebody has maybe seen a picture of you and thought, "What is that?" You know, those those questions inevitably pop up at some point. So, how do you introduce it to your friends? Do you introduce it before they do? Do you wait till they say something? If you're going away on a weekend and somebody says, "What are you up to on the weekend?" Do you, do you let them know? Do you wait till they ask? And, and and when that topic does arise, how do you address it? Okay. Well, there's two ways people are going to see or hear about my hobby. First one is they're going to see me being that kind of eccentric that I am, walking around in a great coat or a trilby. They might ask, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. Or, wow, what's this about? And I might tell them. The other thing is if people come to my home and they start seeing things around the house, this is not to suggest that there are weapons on display because there isn't. It's just the type of house I have, and with all my ephemera and objadar everywhere, I oh, think what? objadar, objects of desire, objects of weirdness. Bloody hell! And what was the word before that? Ephemera. Ephemera. <laughs> What's that one mean? Ephemera, just stuff, just stuff. So, you know, I could have. You need to put the dictionary away. You must have been writing some smart words down this week to say. Do you know what? It's because I've been stood in front of dozens of students today lecturing about one thing or another. they won't understand what ephemera means okay ephemera things objects <laughs> gizmos gadgets anyway anyway carry on carry on and uh the so okay so let's talk about friends um they get me because they get me first they know who i am and what i'm about people who don't know me okay so i've just let go that i work in the university so the students who find out they find out either from me or my social media page because I teach design and it's a massive part of design. Social media is a part of it. So we introduce our, the students to social media and show them our own accounts. And of course, if they see my account, they'll start asking the questions of what, what is going on with that picture? Are you really next to a tank? Is that really Brad Pitt? I'm only joking. I haven't been near Brad Pitt, but I'm just saying the films and the movies. So then they start to find it interesting. The next thing I generally do no word of a lie. I have your book at work. Okay. I have it there for a number of reasons because of the fashion aspect that I teach as well. So there's a lot of fashion with utilitarian clothing. Here we go. Um, and about the M41s, etc., 42s, jump boots. So the book is there as a guide. So when they see the pictures and they go, oh my 
goodness, you know, this is this is amazing. Oh, hang on, that's you. And, and look at you, strange, and think, are you a model? Because <laughs> these photos are pretty cool, Richie. Your photos are amazing. You don't have to take a few pounds off my jaw, yeah? <laughs> so let's just say that's how they find out. The next thing is it goes to – sorry, my chair is creaking a bit. So the next thing is people in my area, my uh, close where I live, my cul-de-sac, in the lockdown, we had, of course, the 75th anniversary of D-Day. I went all out. I wore the gear, the house got decorated, and so did most of the houses in the close. But when they started to see me riding on my vintage bike, wearing BDs, the Tam O'Shanta, you know, the all the rest of it. And of course, I put a little D-Day museum in my garage. So I got out my car, threw a bag of sand. It was a bit tacky, a bit cheesy, but the, everything I owned got thrown in there and the locals were invited to have a little nose. They couldn't believe it. They said, we can't believe that we live Bet next door to this. you've only got one impression. Oh, no, I haven't. You know what I've got. <laughs> Is that what they said? They said, I can't believe you haven't got any British gear on this, but... <laughs> okay. Oh, you got me right there, haven't you? You got me blank to rights. <laughs> it was all American, and all I was wearing was my BDs. Look, I'm getting better. Leave me alone. So, um, I wore the... Because it was obviously, I'm British, and it's VE day, it only made rights that I should wear what I wore. Um, on that day and yeah you know it was it was great but the locals I don't know they, they've all said it was an amazing thing and they can't believe this it's is pretty cool uh, I've had people knock on my door and ask can you research this serial number for this soldier he's my uncle he died in uh, in Burma and I've said okay give me five minutes because I'm on most of the websites that I subscribe to and I've come back to him half an hour later and said, I'm sorry, but he unfortunately died in, in a stalag, <laughs> you know, in Europe in 44. And yeah, so I give something back as well. So these are all, you know, you, you touched a lot on how people find out you're an actor, but what I really want to dig into and try and offer some support to those that may be new to the hobby is what then, you know, how do you explain it? Because there's a million different ways to explain what we do and in, you know, in very, very shorthand, you know, phrase okay. or sentence, how, 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 how do, how do I do it? Um, yeah, how do you do it? I mean, how, I know what you're saying. How do I do it? How do you explain in shorthand? I'm going to be honest. I, Go on. I, I personally sort of tiptoe around it a little bit. I start on the collecting front. I sort of talk about, I collect World War II history and I, I'm going to be honest, I sort of dress it up a little bit. I generally tell people that we're hired for events um, to come and, put our collections on display and show people what it would have been like, um, which is, isn't false. It's, it's true. You know, we are hired, not necessarily for, for monetary value, but we are brought to events. We have been in films. We have been in documentaries. Uh, we do put displays on. So I'd sort of try and Hollywood it up a little bit and make it sound really interesting and cool and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but inevitably some people sort of, you, and you can, I think for me, it's about reading the room a little bit and reading your audience and understanding what their level of interest is. Um, some people will, do you know what? And I think one of the questions I was, I was going to ask Andy is, have you, have you came to terms with the fact that, you know, 95% of the world are going to think you're a weirdo for, for what you do? Because for a long time, a long time, I, I sort of stuffed it away in the corner a little bit and, it was a bit of a mystery and I'm going to be honest, I'm like a full blown rain acting flasher now. It's like, it's all out in the open. I'm letting it hang out. <laughs> it's all there. I'm like, this is me. You know, I am, I'm 31 years old now. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I've made my bed in terms of, um, my path in life to an extent. And this is who I am. And if you don't like it, then, you know, go swivel on it basically, mm. because I love, I love history and, I love, I love reading. I love sitting in my room being immersed in it. I love the friends that I have in the hobby. I love, you know, the, the kit I've got, the things I've collected, the experiences I've made. And I, and I really look forward to another 30 years in the hobby as well. So I'm at a point in my life where I am mm. absolutely at peace with the idea of, you know, most of the people outside of my close friend circle thinking you're an absolute weirdo for doing this because that doesn't bother me because I've learned to accept that that won't affect my happiness. And I think 
in reality, your true friends will understand and accept it because everybody's got a strange interest. And if you don't, then you, you're just pretty boring for me. You know, um, if you don't have any interests apart from the, the normal conformative ones, then, you yeah. know, I, I feel sorry for you really. I think, um, I, I, I did find it hard to tell people, um, and hope that they understood. I've come to a point where, um, I don't care anymore. And, uh, you know, I, my boots, I don't actually own any kind of modern shoes. They're all kind of either military or vintage. And when I used to go across to, say, our database department and get some information for whatever reason, there was always a guy in there. I'll call him Kev because, you know, his name's Kev. He used to point out and say, oh, what's going on here? I thought he had a foot fetish at one point, but he was just interested in the boots because these guys were literally sitting there in suits and ties. And I'd walk in, you know, BD walls or whatever and these boots and it became a bit of a talking point with one or two of them and he now works uh, next door to me in my building so he's often coming in for coffee and tea and we talk and he'll say oh then them boots that you got you know two years ago and belongs to this guy and here's the backstory so people do take an interest I think um, it is it, it does come across like a bit of a dirty secret doesn't it I guess for a lot of people. And I wonder if there's anyone out there yeah. or many people who just literally won't tell anybody. That's all. Well, there's a lot and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, wrong judgments and views and, mm. uh, on, on the hobby, um, out there for whatever reason, again, a lack of education, which is dispelled into, you know, different, um, you, you can, you can, you know, you can make anything look how you want it to make it look right. So I think a lot of people are afraid of putting it out there. And I think that's a really sad thing. But like I said, I'm at a point in my life now where I just think this is me. This is what I love. And if if you want to, you know, and I, I'm going to be honest, I, I posted a lot about D-Day and, and mm. V-Day uh, across social media. And like you put a big display on. And some of my close friends from outside of the hobby actually criticized me for, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of holding my hands up now in inverted commas by saying glorifying war for you know, for, for celebrating V-Day and remembering V-Day and, mm. you know, and to be honest with you, some of those people, I just said, you know what, like, if that's, if that's your opinion and you can't accept that this is a, a really huge day for me in my life and, and what I'm interested in, then maybe we shouldn't be friends. Um, and I'm, I've, I've walked away from people in my life that have done, have done nothing but criticized my interests. And, you know, I think that, that's fine. I would, I would, essentially I've put the hobby before, friends you know and, and that's fine for me if you can't accept it then you're not a true friend i think also uh, you and i are in the creative industries and i think i'd like to think that it's it's kind of accepted i've still got some friends from my previous incarnation um before i do what i do now and i i get on with them because they knew me as a person before they reenact them and i think because I'm in this world of education and equality and diversity, which gets literally um, rattled around every day, I think it's it's accepted and accept it's acceptable. Um, there are individuals that I work with that maybe ten years ago, everybody would have literally raised an eyebrow at and thought, "What's that person about there?" You know, for whatever reason they're going through in their life. We're talking about things like transgender, for instance. Um, whereas now, literally, it's open arms and people are so interested and so um, forthcoming with other people's general opinion. I'm in the, like I said, the creative industry, so I, I find it quite easy and acceptable that I could actually do what I do, you know. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's quite sad that there's a lot of people out there that, that can't, for whatever reason, they have to hide it. I mean, I've... Mm probably not going to name their names for, for certain reasons that, that have never seen, never posted a single bit about it because they're very concerned about the impact it might have on their, their, their lives in various ways, their, their careers, their personal life. Um, and I think that's really, really sad that you can't. Yes. But you know, Richie, if you think I, about I think, it, some of our, I was going to say some people have such a position in society, for instance, if they are, you know, within the civil service or even a police officer, for instance, and they portray a German reenactor okay a german group can they do that i mean that's that's a big question as well you know can these guys who reenact um an ss group or whatever you know do they keep quiet or do they literally hang their laundry up 
on wash day and don't give a damn. Makes you wonder. Really interesting thing. But yeah, I have, I would say that I've probably seen a more in ways open view developing over the last few years mm. and things do help. I think, um, the day was a big help. I mean, from personal experience, I would have my sort of Jeep out on the drive, doing a bit of work on it or whatnot. And people would sort of look at you a little bit oddly to think, what is that and why do you have it? And then come VE day, same sort of thing to you, uh, you know, put on the battle dress, um, took the Jeep around the, the, the estate that I live on um, and drove around waving flags and, you know, parking up and having a socially distant chat to people back in May. And beyond that, it, you know, whenever I spoke to one of my neighbours after that, it was sort of, how's the jeep doing what are you doing next on it asking yeah. questions about it whereas you know six weeks before that it was like what's this strange thing so i think things like v day and um you know just other things when when dunkirk came out when fury came out when um i'm just thinking of various other war films that are out there mm. and they make it into the mainstream public i think that really really helps with that relationship between the outside world and the inside sort of reenacting community no i think um i think it does i think it brings it to, like you say, the forefront. I know um, many of my neighbours, I had not even spoken to any of them. And VE Day happened and I went up the street. My uh, One of my, well, both of my sons had these little uh, kind of go-karts. We put Spitfire wings on the back, on the, well, on the sides. And I made a little video, which I had the Battle of Britain song go over the top, you know, and the whole experience. And these people now, they know what I'm about. They, you know, we talk, we converse, we have pleasant chats in the street and we're just waiting for the next thing to happen and then it'll come back together, flooding. And what I'll do is on our Instagram, I'll put up a little picture, I think, because we're talking about the public and the interaction and I might put a picture of my street and how it was on the 75th and what we did as a general populist. And a picture of me and my BDs. Good to see Definitely. So, so what advice might you have for, um, you know, let's just say we've got some of our uh, listeners who are maybe fairly new to the hobby again and are just approaching this this level of interest in their hobby from their friends, their colleagues, their family, whoever it might be. You know, with all the experience under your belt, Andy, how, how what you know, what words of advice might you offer to these people to, you know, to help them, uh, you okay. know, I guess fit in uh, to explain it. Okay. Have a, a name and and uh, an objective about why it is you're doing it. Don't just merely think it's because I play war games online and I fancy dressing up. You've got to have a motive, and the motive for the vast majority of the reenactment fraternity is about honour and respect and memory and making sure that the general public, populace, are encouraged to accept that these things happen these, uh, these wars happened, uh, that we are there to reflect the memory and respect the memory. And that's what it is. It's keeping it alive, but in a respectful manner, not to disrespect it. We're not getting absolutely drunk wearing these uniforms because that's what we think they did. And, you know, wave a flag at the same time. We are, first and foremost, trying to keep this memory alive because millions of people died. And a lot of these guys and girls are still around today who survived the war. And it's for the honour, David Teacher, for instance, that we, we do it. And I think that's how you go in. And if you go in with a strong concept of why you're doing it, and it's honourable, if anyone does not denies you, they're an absolute dickhead. Mm-hmm. And this, I think people... People in the community don't really help in the whole honor thing of, you know, we've mentioned before, sort of some of the more dedicated reenactors will go to such lengths. Um, they'll find original letters, Christmas cards, like I said, that I've got. They will, you know, get yeah. all of these tiny little details to make it right and to make it really personal so that, you know, you can really get close to impersonating, or well, not impersonating, but reenacting and, and mm. recreating these 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 lives that were lost or, or, or otherwise. Empathy. It's but a lot empathy. of people out there, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people out there, like we've said, just, uh, I don't want to touch it too much, but 
people that just don't suit the impressions bad kit um you mentioned uh, you know being yeah aviators yeah um <laughs> we have to get that in generic, every conversation yeah being a generic lout and just yeah. you know disrespecting things you know yeah being being a pickering and being a being a 70 odd year old man this isn't ages but being being a 75 year old guy in your aviators, which there actually was a man wearing aviators. And I did think about the podcast when I saw him, <laughs> but this guy, this guy is over 70. He's a really, he's a really nice guy. I've, I've sort of known of him in the hobby for a long time since I started, mm. but this guy wears like a sergeant's 101st airborne uniform. It's a, it's a really bad jumpsuit, but he wears this 101st jumpsuit with um, aviators on and, you know, and you just, I've got no That's issue. Be it, but be, be, be the home guard or be, you know, we had this conversation with some of the guys that are with us this weekend, uh, you know, about mm. what age do we start doing things at the home guard? And, you know, if you're 70 or do the home guard or put on a civilian's impression and you can still take part and enjoy it and be realistic because the civilian population were incredibly important back then too. And what, you know, great way, I, I quite look forward to maybe being, you know, not, I wouldn't say look forward to it, but I think when the time is right for me, I will commit to the, the home guard impression or a civilian impression and, you know, portray a family member who was a civilian at the time, you know, how, how interesting mm. would that be? I think it, 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 for me, it involves the, the, uh, the hobby and it involves how you look at things and you can start to look at things like ration booklets and a whole host of different things other than the, the sort of military area. So I guess where yeah. I'm getting to with that is just that this whole idea of remembrance and how other people view it isn't necessarily helped by, um, people at large scale public events where, you know, um, it isn't a paid to a paid event. It is just, you know, an event in the middle of a very busy town and yeah, yeah just don't come, please don't do that. Pick up an extra hours is you get this like 80% of naff reenactors, 20% good reenactors. So maybe we should, um, you know, try and have uh, some bouncers on the village. And if your impression's not good enough, you're not coming in or something like that. Maybe imagine that. No, I, yeah. It's well, actually, some some events do that, right? Yeah. I, I'm not sure off the top of my head what event it is, but some events ask you to send a picture in advance. Oh, um, I can't remember. What, I can't remember what event, but that's that's a great idea for me. It's a really good idea <laughs> because they do not want people coming to the event that just look like like you mentioned earlier, being a Smiths or wherever yeah. it might be, eBay and bought a, a really naff uniform because they want it to look correct and and real. Mm. I've seen people wearing kind of a Tom. Cruise uh, Top Gun outfit one year. I thought, mate, I know it's military, but it's not even the right year. It's just not even right. To be fair, it's it wasn't even eighties no. or whenever year no, you know, Top Gun came out. But I think um, I don't know. You know, I've got lots of opinions about these events, the general populace, etc. I think we've touched on them quite a lot. Um, I think a friend of mine he said to me with regards to the idea of impressions he said it shouldn't be about wanting to do the impression it's about who you do it with and uh never a word was spoken so true because i think for me i stayed away from the the uh the king's own um because i don't know kind of affiliation or interest but actually you know what if i want to be with my mates and that's what they're doing it shouldn't matter and besides you know i should be doing a british unit anyway you know so that's what I'm enjoying about collecting at the moment. Definitely. So just to summarize the, the outsider's yeah. perspective on this, I think, I think we're in agreement that this is something that we're just always going to have mm-hmm. to live with. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Something that, and I think it's how, it's how you learn to adapt and how I think you yeah. begin to come to terms with it in your mental state. And there will be times where you have to either accept the criticism and the, uh, I don't know, the, 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 the banter, whatever it might be called from colleagues, friends, or yeah, you got a few options, right? You keep it a complete secret, which is difficult and you don't enjoy it. You, you deal with the banter and, and whatnot that comes with it. Or you, you know, you, you're quite public about it and you distance, distance yourself from anybody who might be very, very critical of it. And I think those are, those are three sort of good options. I would, I would really say just to sort of try and stick to that, that could sort of help out and, and whichever path you choose, if it isn't a right yeah. or wrong, um, but I think if you try and do a little bit of all three of those, I, yeah, I just think have some clarity and your stance will evolve. I've, I've probably gone from the first one mm. to the last one in that, um, like, you know, keep it a secret and moving it through to the point where I'm like now, like, you know, that that's me now, you know, like it or lump it. Um, 
And I think just just be trying clear with what you want to do Definitely. with it. Like I you think we need earlier. to tell people that um, actually we're here to answer not only your questions but also any queries. So if there's anyone out there who just want a bit of advice, you know, from us, just get us on the uh, the Instagram page. Just DM us, which then leads us to we had fan mail today, Richie. We had letters. Oh, I haven't had yeah. a chance to look through mine. I've uh, I get I get too much fan oh, mail these days to answer yourself. them all. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Okay, I got one. Um, it, it wasn't really fan mail. It was just someone on, through social media contacted me about the channel and said, "Look, this is great. Um, talk about this next time. Shall we? You know, you should discuss that." So we're going to do, do that in the future. And this guy lives in Holland, so you know he, he had some really interesting opinions about what they reenact over there and where they do it as well, which I think is another uh, conversation. Would you reenact on an actual mm-hmm. battlefield? Yeah, well, we've touched upon that, um, talking about some of the events that the Second Hour in Europe do. And I, you know, I'd really like to speak to a couple of those yeah. guys about the difference between doing it and, you know, re- representing Normandy in, in Yorkshire, but instead actually doing it over there as well. You know, Monty's Men is taking part next year. It'd be quite oh, interesting be to, so good. to speak to, to those guys as well. Yeah. So have you got anything uh, else on this week, uh, you know, based around the world of um, reenacting, no. Andy? Um, I haven't. I've... Do you know what? Shocking. Actually, no. I'll Shocking. say one thing. I'm expecting a few deliveries. Um, okay. Any uh, any British kit in there, Andy? It is. Don't worry. Mm. Um, it's it? a few patches and do tell. Good price. Yeah, Bargain. yeah. Don't call them patches. Insignia. It's insignia. See, it's insignia. Oh, Don't call it. Okay. Patches. Thanks for correcting me. God, you're not doing American. If you're going to do British, you're going to have to start speaking the Queen's. I'm uh, some and a beret. Well, the kings. The sorry, kings. we should we should we should say the kings. Mm-hmm. Actually, the kings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is it? You've I've got, got some you've got insignia coming. I've also got a beret. I've ordered some new boots, ammo boots. Oh, okay. Tell me, tell me which beret, which insignia. What I've ordered, Richie, um, from some suppliers, um, some friends of ours, um, Chaos uh, is the uh, King's Own Scottish Borders, the uh, the glider. So. I've ordered the insignia and berry and some other little bits and bobs that I was missing. Um, I'm not going to order the webbing just yet. Um, I need to do a little bit more research and whatnot. Yeah. It's pretty uh, pretty easily accessible. Mm. That's a good thing about well, British kids. said in the uh, past. So quite easy there as well, yeah. It is there. Yeah, definitely. It's a whole quite new easy. area for me. I just, it's mm. something I'm so brand new at. Um when I started the American stuff all them years ago, I actually knew more about that than I do about my own country, which is really bad. But mm. you know, hey, this well, is. I'll, uh, I'll do my best to be. I'll do my best to be supportive rather than teasing. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. Definitely. No, I nearly, yeah, I nearly got a couple of things in the Pickering. There's a couple of little stalls and shops, and resisted the temptation to buy some. Um, lots of other little nickety bits around there. I did. I did actually uh, manage to get a. Um, I. My sins bought another um, British Airborne Berry. Um, How many is that? This week. How many is that? Uh, four. Why do you need four? But it took it. <laughs> well, so you've got I know. Different, different supplies. I know. You have different things. I've, I've got two What Price Glory ones. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to talk openly and review, um, review these berries right now, dun, dun, dun. Uh, the What Price Glory ones are good. They are a little bit big for my liking. They look like a, a dish plate sometimes. <laughs> And the they're not made from 100% wool, I don't think. So it's like a polyester blend. So it starts to get a bit bobbly in the colour. Uh, it's a little bit pinky for my liking. Um, the the all-time design beret is definitely the best readily available beret on the market. Um, size is good, correct leather band, made by one of the original manufacturers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, sits quite nice after a little uh, a, a couple of days of wearing as well. So that's, uh, that's definitely the best, uh, in my opinion, readily available beret that's out there. Um, there is another legendary supplier of berries, um, which isn't a slight on the old time design version. It's just, this is another great, uh, reproduction, which I didn't have, uh, which they don't actually make anymore as a king and country berry. Um, very similar to, to, to old time design in, in size, probably a little tiny bit thicker. Um, but everything else is, is very much similar. Um, but another great supply. I didn't have one of those and saw, or one of those come up at a friend, uh, kind of helped me out with. So, um, yeah, got another one of those there as well. So really excited to 
have a few different options there. And I, I, to be honest, I needed, I needed a few more because I've got three para impressions. Well, three para glider born, air born, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've got offices, Kings on Scottish borderers enlisted man's, uh, Kings on Scottish borderers. Mm. Um, and then I have, uh, more of just the, the regular British airborne paratrooper as well. So I needed, I need three barriers at least to, uh, to sort of match all of those, like taking the badges off all the time and things like that. You know, I've mentioned in previous episodes, I like to, um, get another one to put another badge on rather than change insignia and badges and yeah, so on as well. So, That's great. What a, yeah. you know, great impressions. Yeah. So you're doing it, doing the, uh, hobby yeah. fine justice. Definitely. And uh, those those barriers can be seen. I've actually been um getting my creative juices flowing again, taking some some portraits, some uh some self-portraits. So, you know, usually I love to take event the pictures at events and had the itch coming back from Pickering, couldn't take any images, missed wearing uniforms, so decided to take some wartime style portraits of my uh, impressions that I might not have had a chance to sort of air in public just yet. So the uh US Army Air Force impression and uh, one of my Kings on Scottish borderers. So I sort of took some great pictures. Mm. Not great. That's a, sorry. Just took some pictures. They um, are great pictures. And sort of be modest yeah, about it. I was it quite happy with them. Fantastic. Quite happy. And you've colorized them. Don't forget that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, the thing for me was to try and, do you know what? It's incredibly difficult to replicate those styles. Um, the easy bit, although it takes, it's time consuming is, is colorizing it. So you generally make it black and white. Um, and then you have to sort of hand paint in the colors again. Um, with certain sort of blend modes so that that's really enjoyable for a start but the difficulty is in in two ways so the way that we light things in photography these days is very different um there's a lot of continuous light use back then the bulb types were different the modifiers were different so and they would light from what i would call sort of you know non-traditional methods so there's very uh correct ways of lighting an image in terms of portraits these days and back then they didn't really conform to those sort of rules it was very early on in portrait photography and then if you combine the fact that in a strange way oh, film photography film photography can be quite soft and and gentle in terms of the contrast but then they can be very very sharp and sometimes the other way around so you know for me it was about compiling a list of uh, of pinterest images together of old portraits and trying to get a lighting style at work and do the colorizing so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep going at that um, if everyone has enough to see my face, that's fine. But it's it's really interesting because I, I eventually I want to do a book of, you know, I want to take hundreds of these portraits of, of men, women, civilians, military, um, and do them all across the UK and hopefully make a book out of that. So if anybody is interested in that, you know, obviously post lockdown, um, you know, head over to to my own uh, wartime imagery Inc. I think it's called uh, on Instagram there. There's some portraits um, that you can have a little look at. And if you are interested in, maybe being a part of that. I'd love to hear from people that are UK based with some interesting impressions that have that look, um, you know, get in touch. That'd be, that'd be great to see as well. And obviously Andy, look forward to photographing your lovely face again. You're always a, a key part of my imagery. Hey, thanks buddy. But don't forget, why don't you put some of these pictures that you're talking about on the Instagram story so people can see. Yeah. Good show. Good show. Well, We've got one last thing. Oh, so we mentioned on a previous episode about our competition. Oh, yes. We're going to be running. Okay. Yeah. So don't forget about this. So mm. we mentioned that the, you you would have to listen to the podcast in order to win uh, win this uh, money can't buy prize. So Andy mentioned a book earlier, which is about a hundred page book, A3 hardback, uh, fantastic quality prints of a lot of images of the group Normandy 44, which we've been a part of and has been going for over 20 years. One of the largest groups, um, probably in worldwide reenacting. I would say um, some some really nice in, in, uh, imagery across immersive events and public events for a long, long time. And we only had a limited run of 50 of these books printed. Uh, I do have one, which I'm going to give away. Um, so, you know, money can't buy this. We're going to post it uh, wherever this person wins it in the world. We'll send that out there. So what you need to do to win this prize, and this is going to be running until October the 31st. So you've got a little bit of time to do this, about two or three weeks uh, in which to enter. So if you would like to enter this competition, then what you need to do is head to the Reenactors Ramble uh, Instagram page. And if you can either share the Reenactors Ramble, one of the episodes, one of the posts in your story, tag us in that story. So dead simple, post any sort of uh, Instagram story and tag us in there. And I would also, we would also like you to message us, uh, the Reenactors underscore Ramble, with the special code message, ham and jam, ham 
and jam. That's all you need to do. Andy, any uh, indication of where ham and jam might come from? It's from Pegasus Bridge. Well done. Well done. See, I know my history. Well done. Well done. Hey, good. Well, uh, always, always a pleasure, Andy. Um, episode fifteen. I think it's. Uh, I think it's time for a guest in episode fifteen. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think we can organise that one. Uh, we've. Have yeah. you got any ideas? Because I've got a couple of ideas that I'd like to shoot across. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we talked about we want to get these other perspectives. Let's speak to some some general yeah. actors. Um, you know, I think that that'll be a, a really good one. I think to start with. Yeah. Um, definitely. So, let's do that. Um, we'll start doing our not only our research on our own. Uh, friend base but if there's anybody out there who can uh talk through a microphone system and um have a, has a good opinion let's just say you know let's have you why not get in touch let's have it let's why have not? it yeah why not good stuff cool well uh, thanks everyone for listening uh once again i had some really good stats recently so thanks again for listening and once again, as always, if you'd like to support the podcast, then you can head to patreon.com slash ramble and you can support us there with a small donation, which would keep this podcast running because it does cost money to keep things hosted and equipment and various things like that. Uh, but thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll speak to you all again soon. Bye.